Congratulations, you made it to the X-Fill. You can relax, empty your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our main goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you're going to join us in that and come along for the ride. So before we jump into the show, it's time to knock out our hideout keeping for the day, for the week. And for those of you that are new, and for those of you that have been around, as always, the best way to support the show is to tell a friend, tell a community, tell somebody about the show. We've got new people coming in all the time. Thank you to those of you that are doing that. And second to that is giving us a review on the platform of your choice that you are listening or watching on or commenting if they don't allow a review or a rating. But to that point, we have 94 reviews on iTunes. 93 of those are five-star, and there's one. (laughs) There's one that's a three-star. If it was a one-star, I'd feel better. If it was a two-star, I'd feel better. But a three? I don't know who you are, but I hope we win you over to the point where you change that three to a five. We're trying to get better. Please, please, if you gave us that three star, let us know. We want to know what we did. We want to earn five stars all the time. But again, the fact that you took the time to go give us a review, and if it was truly a three star review, thank you, thank you for doing that. We just want the feedback on that review so we can get better and see if we can't win you over. (laughs) <laughs> it just cracks me up, man. I, I actually, I'm glad. I don't I don't want to tell people how to review and, and how to feel. We're super grateful that the vast majority are rating at, at five stars and believe in the show and give positive feedback, but we don't want to be so blinded that we uh, we don't listen to those that aren't enjoying it as much as maybe they think it could be or, or they think it could be better. So we want to get there. As we announced on the last episode as well, we now have a Patreon. So for those of you that want to directly support and help uh, finance the podcast, which is an incredible thing, uh, Patreon is live at patreon.com forward slash XP Media now. And at the time of this recording, we are just hours after the last episode released, and we already have four brand new patrons just hours after that was released. So thank you so much. And just know that if you pledge any time during the week after that went live, now, we're not going to catch that until future episodes just because of our recording schedule, but I just wanted to say a sincere thank you to those of you who decided to pledge financially to help the podcast out. It means the world to us. Thank you. But I also just wanted to take a quick moment, too, that if you can't support financially, that doesn't mean we think any less of you or that part of the community or anything. We also find a tremendous value in the people that are sharing the podcast with other people. And that is a sincere thought. We had to have very serious discussions about how to allow people to directly support and we're very intentional about we don't want to do mass segregation of of the different roles and and all of that kind of thing. So we're being very cautious how we enter into this. But that being said, those that can and have financially supported the podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. Other news, Discord is now greater than 400 members. Unbelievable. The chat seems to scroll all day long now, and it's just people helping each other. It's amazing. Every question that gets asked, people are giving multiple opinions on how to accomplish or overcome that problem. So great, great stuff there. Thank you. And then I wanted to take a quick moment to talk about the introduction section on the Discord. I have started to love this section on the Discord, right? When you introduce yourself, you get an orange tag in the Discord letting everyone know that you've introduced yourself. And every time I see some new name that has introduced themselves and they start chatting a lot in the Discord, it's been really, really cool for me to go read a little bit about their background and just get to know that little nugget or the couple things that they decided to share. And I would encourage you to go check this out. 
out. There's a ton of stuff in there. There's people that are streaming. There's people that are doing other types of content. There's people that just enjoy the game. There's all kinds of stuff going on in there. So if you haven't checked that introduction section out yet, I highly recommend you do it because it's just really cool. So thanks to everybody who's taken the time to introduce themselves to the community. And it's incredible. Like, I can't believe how many people have gone in and done that. Like, you can scroll for many, many pages of introductions. So very cool. And uh, the last thing I wanted to say was make sure you also check out our YouTube. We've got the Exfil Bootcamp up there. Uh, with a couple of guide videos and more to come, but youtube.com forward slash XP Media now. And if you are looking for me specifically, you can find me on Twitch a few days a week and on Twitter under the tag MTB Trigger. And with that, Ronald, let these fine people know where to find you, how you're doing, and what's going on, man. How are you? Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good to be here tonight. Excited for the next Exfil. Can you believe this is our 10th episode? It's amazing that we've made it this far. It's crazy. Just quick down memory lane. I remember the first one we shot. I thought, man, why? Wow. No one's going to listen to this, right? We're making this just for you and me to talk, just be nerds. So it's amazing. A couple of noobs playing a new game. Just just noob, <laughs> noobs, nerds, good stuff. But I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody. It's been so amazing to meet so many of you. And like Trigger said, we've got 400 plus people. And it's just been an amazing community that's developing around gamers who really want to help each other. We've definitely have struck a chord with people who are nice to each other and want to play the game. And I just think that's awesome. And that's because you all are awesome. So thank you for for creating this community and making it what it is. Uh, you can find me as always on uh, Twitter at Ronald Gaming or also in Discord. I would say the best way to get a hold of me is going to be in Discord. So send me a DM in Discord. I'm checking that all day long. Also, if you have some thoughts or some specific things you'd like to get to us that you can't do with Discord, you can also email the show at xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. That email address is one that we check all the time. We're checking that all day, every day, so we can uh, respond there for people that have questions or or want to send us stuff. Also, one thing in the Discord I want to be sure to point out before we move on to the next sections of the show tonight is I want to say thank you for welcoming people. And what I mean by that is the community is welcoming each other. And this is so important to Trigger and I because when we set out to do this, we wanted to make a gamer community that was not only approachable for elitist gamers or, or people who are playing games at a high level, but also new players who may be either new to PC, just switching from console, or just new to gaming in general. Just picked it up because, hey, you found this crazy podcast with these two nerds talking and you're like, I'm going to try this game, right? And so we want to say thank you to the community for just being uh, very welcoming to each other. We see it all day long. New people join the Discord and just everyone is randomly welcoming and chatting. And that is awesome. That's exactly what we're going for in this community. So you're awesome. Thank you very much for doing that. And lastly, for our patrons, I just want to say thank you for giving your real life money, donating your real life currency, not just rubles, but your real life currency to our, our little show that we have going on here. It means the world. I want to tell you and commit to you, your funds are going directly to support the show and the efforts that Mike and I are putting into the show. It means the world to us. It will help us and allow us to do more of the things that we have on like our dream list. There's a lot of things we want to do at the show and those things, you know, take support. They take funding and we can get there, but we're going to get there a lot faster because people are willing to support the show. So we want to say thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. That means the world to us. So as we move on, one thing we want to talk about is how on Apple, we charted on Apple. So Trigger, tell us about that. That's exciting. Dude, this was crazy. And I, I almost completely forgot about this until you started talking that we got an email from Chartable, which is who tracks all of the categories on the iTunes podcast list for Apple. And we got an email saying that we are charting in the overall gaming category, which is one of the biggest podcast segments out there. And we are almost breaking into the top 100 right now. So just wanted to say thank you to everybody for listening and downloading. And again, there's a lot of you that are picking it up on Spotify and various other platforms. By no means are we asking you to move off of those onto Apple. We just get a lot of traffic from Apple. So that's why we talk about it there. And typically they have the best metrics because they've been around so long. But there's a lot of uh, like Spotify in particular 
has really been diving into the podcast world. So we anticipate having better metrics from them and we get a lot of traffic there too. But it was really, really encouraging to see that we are already hitting gaming charts in the gaming category. We're hitting the podcast charts in under two months. Unbelievable. Another sincere thank you to the community. You guys are amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Incredible. So I think that sort of wraps up hideout keeping and the intros. But tonight on the show, we're going to talk about when should you stop scabbing? Should you stop scabbing? Or maybe there's a place in the game that maybe it's time to start PMC rating more. We want to talk about how to use your currency in game efficiently. And lastly, we want to talk about how to best utilize the traders. So we'll see what rabbit holes those take us down. But before we jump into all that, let's jump into how our uh, how our week was in Tarkov. Oh, I, I see here in the notes you want me to go first. <laughs> yeah. I'll do that. Here's what I know. This week in Tarkov, it has been confirmed to me by the amount of gear that I've donated on the woods map in particular that I am not a shooter born in heaven yet. <laughs> I was not born in heaven. Currently, I have completed about 16% of the Shooter Born in Heaven quest, which requires you to hit 100 meter plus headshots on four different maps. And I started on Woods and it is brutal. I spent a lot of time on that map learning it and trying to get long range headshots. I killed a bunch of PMCs. I died a bunch of times, but I didn't. I actually only got one headshot over 100 meters on wood so far. So that's been most of my week, man, is just trying to get that accomplished. Like I've gone in there with thermals, which I'm honestly not a huge fan of. And I'm telling you what, man, if you go on woods right now, you're going to go up against other PMCs with thermals. And that map is fun. It's rough. I got my Sherman quest out of the way. I killed him and got his key. But I spent a lot of time on woods and man, I got clapped, dude. That map is something else. So, you know, I spent a lot of time there. And then when I got sick of dying on woods, I went and stopped around factory a lot. So that that was kind of my week in Tarkov, man. Nice. I've been donating a lot of gear to the customs map. You know, I'll never understand exactly why you still have to do customs first. To me, it's a lot harder not complaining, but it, it is a barrier to getting into Tarkov, I think, because it's a lot harder than, say, learning Shoreline first or even Factory, honestly. It's it's just a lot to take in. So I've been having quests to, early game quests to kill like 25 scabs or 15, 15 scabs or five um, PMCs or whatever. And so been donating a lot of gear to customs. Definitely around the gas station and customs, it's just giant disaster zone. And so I've been getting stuck there a lot trying to get this quest. And then I got, I, you know, I had to take a break from that. You know, you can only progress so far with that. So I had to take a break. So I thought what I really wanted to focus on this week was something that we want to talk about in our first main topic, which is talking about when you should stop scaving and doing more PMC raids. So this week I decided I wanted to try to break down the idea of, okay, if you're a new player like me, and when you make that choice to transition from being a player who does a lot of scaving, probably scaving 80% of the time and PMC 20% of the time because you're literally kind of have gear fear or you're afraid or whatever, like how can you get past that fear and how can you just push forward in the game? So what I started to do was to try to develop like a plan for how to make a PMC raid more like a scav raid. And what I mean by that specifically is last week we talked about the transition in mindset when you go from playing just not to lose to playing to win. That's really like the first big transition that happens in Tarkov is you have to play, you have to play to win. And that doesn't mean you need to be Chad and you need to be super aggressive. Actually, in the beginning parts, when you're not FPS, a you know, first person shooter veteran, I'll just say, if we're overcoming from a console game that has different controls or whatever your background is, where it's just not coming easy or as easy as it would to someone else, you what you have to do is you have to get to a spot where you can get comfortable and then start playing your PMC so you can start progressing. And so this week, I focused on all of that. And so what I'm excited to talk about is kind of this system I think I can kind of explain to help people in that position. Yeah, I'm like, I'm really curious how you got to that mindset, right, of kind of like transitioning, because this is a big change for you. (laughs) 
right? Like you scabbed a lot. And I I mean, I scabbed a ton in the beginning, right? I was really currency focused. So uh, this is intriguing, man. So like, how did you, how did you get into this mindset? Well, I mean, the first thing is after a while, the game, so I played a lot of flea market in the beginning. So I mean, I'm, I'm an MMO player, right? At heart. So I did the auction house. I made so much money that I, I was afraid to lose it. So I never spent it. So I mean, that after a while gets kind of boring. And so once you have millions and millions of rubles in your level five, you know, something is not right about the way you're playing Tarkov. So then it became, okay, you need to start progressing your character. Well, I just got, you know, clapped in the face over and over and over and over again. And so that was very frustrating because I was trying to play like people who were level 25 or 30. And I just wasn't good enough for that. One of the things about this podcast that I'm hoping will help other people is that when you look at guides on YouTube or play with some of your friends who are really good at FPS and you're not, don't be discouraged. Just realize that you can't play like them. You can't emulate them. You have to figure out your own way to do this. And so the transition in mindset came around that. The way that I needed to start off is I had to figure out my own way to start to play to win and start to progress. We're breaking this down at a pretty low level to try to get some of the nuance of it so that hopefully it can help some people that are at various stages of this. I doubt someone is going to go through every single stage of this, but if you can relate to just part of it, hopefully it'll help you. So that's kind of where we're starting off with this. So I would say that the first thing that I really had to do was figure out a way that I could get the comfort that I felt while scaving as a PMC. If I were to break that down, that comes from a couple of things. It comes from familiarity of what I'm doing. It comes from the fact that when I'm a PMC or when I'm a scav, sorry, when I'm a scav, I don't care if I die, right? So there's there's no gear fear as a scav. And then it also comes from the fact that when you play as a scav, your objective is different because you have a different amount of time. You spawn at random places in the map and all those things. So when you're a PMC, you're spawning potentially on top of other players. And if you have gear fear or all the other things I just talked about, you initially start off with a bunch of anxiety. When you're a scav, odds are you're spawning by yourself. So you instantly can spawn into an environment where you are in control of what you have going on around you. And I think that is a huge like mindset change that that you have to transition yourself to with your PMC. So that's the first the first real thing. And so I decided to take the scav runs that I was most comfortable with and create a very cheap PMC loadout of whatever guns, whatever guns, right? So it doesn't the guns and the armor and the helmet whatever or tack rig or earpiece, whatever, that doesn't really matter. Just pick whatever you're comfortable with. So pick whatever gun you're comfortable with, pick whatever. Pick something that's just relatively cheap. You want to keep your whole kit maybe under 50,000 rubles because that's more or less what a scav loadout is. And I decided to take one of those and I decided to play Shoreline, which is my most familiar map. And I decided to say, okay, I know for sure there's two different runs on Shoreline that I know that when I'm doing a scav, I exfil 90% of the time because I just know how to do it, right? And those do not include resort. And so what I what I decided was fine, I'm going to start doing that as a PMC. And I'm going to play both of those runs. I'm going to concentrate on looting and then I'm going to concentrate on getting out. So that's where I started. So really quick, I, I know you've got a couple of points on this, but I'm sitting over here dying because I love it. I love the topic. But Can you, at a high level, and I know that this would probably be better suited for like a walkthrough video, which maybe we can do in the future, but if you were looking at the shoreline map, like where where are these runs generically? Like what's your, how would you describe them generically? If someone's trying to like, maybe they want to jump in and try to do this themselves. Like what's the, what's the basic run or both of them? Yep. So we are going to create some guides or I'm going to create two guides actually on Shoreline. And again, these are intended for very new players. These aren't not intended for people who are multi-thousand hour PUBG players coming into Tarkov who level up and, you know, quickly and are just great at being twitchy FPS players in our chat, right? This is not intended for for you. This is intended for people who are new players, okay? And the goal of both of these routes is to maximize your economy, so maximize your profit from things that you find and minimize the amount of combat that you get in. Because at this stage in like the evolution of the Tarkov player, you're broke, so you need money, but you still need to kill scavs for experience. It's easier to kill scavs and PMCs. So 
The most common spawn points on Shoreline for me, I would say the last 30 times I've played, have been spawning in Road to Customs or spawning in Rock Passage. For those who are unfamiliar with the map, Road to Customs is on the far right side of the map, and Rock Passage is in the north part, if up is north, just on the left side of the river that separates Shoreline. Real quick, there's there's a couple old maps on Shoreline. Like if you're looking at the wiki and you're doing some tasks there, there's some older maps of Shoreline where the orientation is wrong. And once they added the resort, there's a west and east wing of resort. And then the newer maps use those as the orientation. If you're looking at a map, use the resort as your compass, west wing, east wing, and then you know where north and south is. And on that map, it's south is the uh, the beach is the best way to think about it. Yep. And so one of the things we'll do in the show notes with this particular show is in the Discord, I'll take two maps and I'll mark them up with this route so that if you want to try following it, you can do it. The first route that I like to do starts at Road to Customs and you head up to Cell Tower, which is just west of Road to Customs. You go up into Cell Tower, even though there's no loot there, but sometimes people snipe from up there. So you go up into Cell Tower on purpose. You clear it to make sure no one's there. You go down the backside of Cell Tower, which is called Rock Ridge, and you head towards the weather station. Now, two different things can happen at the weather station, depending on what time it is in the raid. If you're closer to the beginning of the raid, you might run into some PMCs that are still running through there and heading up to resort. If your goal in this particular case is to not run into any kind of combat, I would work your way over to the weather station, but don't go up the hill until you're at least like 31 minutes or less. And odds are at that point, the scavs haven't spawned yet and you still can run up to, uh, you can still get in there because the PMCs are out. So I usually go into the building that's in the weather station and you go upstairs. There's 12 file cabinet drawers to loot. There's a safe and there is a, a shelf with like computer server parts on it. And there's usually something there. And so that is enough to fill a 16-slot bag easy. If you can get through all of that, on the way out of Weather Station, there's two gun crate spawns by the truck right at the door for for the Weather Station. Loot those and then go. Go to the other side, to the west side of the Weather Station. Go down the hill. See which exfills you have. Most of the time lately, I've been getting the lighthouse as an exfil or the wrecked road or the ruined road is what it's now called as an exfil. It depends how comfortable you are. If you're uncomfortable, then I would say work your way across the map to the ruined road. Go down to the beach and work your way down the beach. That's the safest way to get down to ruined road. But if you're feeling a little bit uh, cheeky and you're ready to go, then I would say try to use the lighthouse. The exfil is closer. And on the way to the lighthouse, there's a building on the pier that you can go through. And there's a couple of safes in there. There's a couple of cash registers. There's a bunch of file cabinets. And remember, at this point in the raid, this is like 20 minutes left. All the chads are still fighting in resort. They're not going to come bother you down there. And then you can work your way down and you can run right to the lighthouse and exfil with full bags. And odds are you're going to get experience for looting and you're going to get experience for exploring. There's one thing you can do too is if you have any kind of food or anything like that, you can eat it while you're in the raid and you'll get some experience and you also level that skill. If you can make it out all the way to the lighthouse, it's going to take you about 12 to 15 minutes. And even though you're bypassing a lot of the high value things, you're still going to exfil with maybe 250 to 350,000 rubles worth of stuff. And it is a great beginner, consistent, survivable run. That's my first survivable PMC as a scav run. I did. I I wanted to point one thing out. That lighthouse area with that two-story building that you mentioned with all the filing cabinets. Be really careful in that building because Dadcaster likes to go there because he's working on his search skill. And he will be at those filing cabinets. So either avoid it if you don't want it to shoot you or if you're trying to kill Dadcaster for some reason, go to that building and look at the filing cabinets. Well, I mean, if you run into Dadcaster, odds aren't great for you at this point, but you know. <laughs> so so anyway, sorry to interrupt you before the second route. So I love that route just really quick because I think it's really easy to get focused on the resort and getting sucked into going up there. So I think early on, there is a tremendous amount of consistent value on the outskirts of this map. So I'm already digging that first route. So I'm curious what the second one is. 
Yep. And I'll just add one more note to that first route. There's caches along the way as well. So there are a few caches in this quadrant. Like think of Shoreline as four quadrants. The resort's kind of in the upper middle and the river splits it. The east-west line is the power lines and you kind of end up with four quadrants. And the way that I break Shoreline down is to take these routes that do not include resort and they're just quadrant routes. And the bottom right quadrant is where Road to Customs and Lighthouse are. And the top left quadrant is where Rock Passage and making your way down to Sventley Dead End or to Rune Road or to Rune House Fence. They alternate between those three. So the second route that I would take is if you spawn in Rock Passage or somewhere in the north part of the map, you're probably going to have Rune Road or Sventley Dead End as your exfil. So when you spawn at Rock Passage, you're already on the west side of the river. You can work your way from that spawn, past the drone to where the fence line starts, and then there are caches on that northwest side of the map, but there's also two scavs there. And you have to make a choice. You're going to aggro the scavs because you're a PMC, right? So you're going to aggro those scavs. So you've got to kill them or you can avoid them. If you break line of sight with them, they won't follow you, right? So that's one choice. The scavs actually spawn kind of by the box truck. They pat back and forth. So you can get at those weapons crates if you don't want to do any combat. Or you can kill. It's an easy scav kill. You can have them in your sights long before they're going to aggro you. So then you have two choices at this point. The safer choice is to follow the fence line all the way down to the back of the village and go into the village and loot the village. The slightly less safe route is to go down the power lines through the church, loot the church, through the suicide fields, go into downtown and loot downtown and loot the village and then make your way to the exfil. There are a couple good loot spawns in the village and downtown. There's scavs that spawn in both of those areas. So if you need to farm some kills, for example, if you need to kill scavs with a pistol or whatever you're going to do, there's scavs that spawn there. And that is a relatively easy place to do this because there's lots of cover. So you'll hear the scavs talking. You'll hear the scavs walking long before they will see you. Your your foot noises may aggro them, but you can just hide around a corner and scavs, you know, an NPC will just walk around the corner and you clap them in the head. So it, it, it's not too bad. There's, uh, there's two shops in the village that have three cash registers total between them. There's lots of loot in there. If you can make your way through that and then Sventley Dead End is in the village, it's the semi-trailer at the end of the road in the village, or Ruined Road is down on the coast. It's like the uh, where the road, not, not the tunnel, but the, the outside road on the coast. And if you can make your way down to there and get out, you have a pretty high probability of getting out. And that route is slightly less profitable than the other one, but it's at least 225 to 275 easy. I've pulled uh, key cards and uh, other random good stuff out of the village. And so those are the two routes on Shoreline that you can do if you're a little bit nervous about getting into close quarters combat, and they have a high probability of survival. You know, you mentioned something at the top of this that I actually really think it's important. This may be a little bit of insight into the Chad mindset, but you talked about how in the very initial phases of the map that you may want to let the other players run to where they're going. And these shoreline runs, right, they're they're designed to get you experience for looting, to get out safely, and, and to make money. And the cool part is that you're, you're doing a glorified scav run on your PMC, and if you can learn these routes, you're, you're going to end up with, with great currency. But I wanted to draw attention to the point you made about letting the other players go do what they're going to do, or staying still briefly before you get started or hiding for a minute. And the reason I want to bring that up is even I did this, <laughs> right? There was a point where I think one of the biggest challenges in this game is going from scaving to doing PMC raids and switching from in the beginning, right? You're kind of doing scav runs on cooldown, trying to learn maps, trying to get loot, trying to figure out what the heck are all these ammo types, all of that. And the hardest part of transitioning from scav to PMC in my opinion, is that on scav, you get put in random locations at random times during the map. And while that seems like it wouldn't make a big difference, it's actually huge because other players have no idea where you're going to be. Other player scavs have no idea where you're going to be. But when you start transitioning to doing more PMC raids, I can tell you this. The Chad and me, the PvP guy, in Tarkov, I want to survive. And that's the common thread for all types of players in this game. Everybody wants to get out with the loot, 
right? However, for me, I want to do that through PvPing and winning fights so that I can exfil and survive. And for me, the best thing and the first thing that I learn on all the maps is where are the spawn points, how close are they, and which ones can I aggressively push and create an advantage on. So what Ronald alluded to there was hiding for the first few minutes, because what that does is it effectively puts you in a position that is more random to the other players around you, so they're not going to expect where you are. Now, the key point there is hiding for a few minutes, and I don't think this is wrong at all. I used to do this because, again, me, I look for PvP wherever I can find it. I realized early on that the people that know the map really well, they're going to be checking all the spawn points. So when I would spawn in, I would run in somewhere within 30 meters of where I spawned on Interchange, which was the first map that I learned, and I would go sit in a bush or I would sit in a corner and just wait a couple minutes because I wanted to let all of the moving chess pieces on that map kind of move around for a little while to create a little bit more of a random scenario, more like I scabbed in, and then I would just proceed through the map. And I found that I had much greater success rates early on when I didn't know all the spawn points, when I didn't know the map very well, just by adding in that extra time at the beginning of the raid to wait, I would use that time to study the map. Where am I going to go? I would look at my loadout. I would make sure I had everything I need or if I forgot something or whatever. But anyway, you brought that up. I thought it was a great point. I, I wanted to make sure I talked about that because transitioning from scab to PMC is not easy. And I think the beginning of the match is the most critically hard point because there is nothing more frustrating than taking all the time in the beginning of the game to figure out what you're going to bring into a PMC raid only to die from another player and you have no idea what happened in the first 60 seconds. So that was a great, great tip that you dropped right at the top of this. Scaving is both good and bad. I think the game designers created scaving so that there was a way to learn mechanics without being punished. However, the way that the scav system works and it drops you in a relatively safe situation leads you to not get very acclimated to what this game really is. And so for me, scaving kind of turned into a crutch. I could be unique in this, but there's probably at least one other person out there that ended up just like me. And what we always say about our podcast is that we're brutally honest with our shortcomings and our and our wins with all of you. For me, scaving turned into a crutch and it was it was a, an area that I had to really push through. And I think that they never designed it to be that. I think what they're trying to do is create a way to practice while having the chance to get something from the practice activity. I think that's what the initial goal with scabbing was, but I don't think that that's what it's turned into. If you talk to like really experienced players, a lot of them don't scav anymore. There's no risk, so the reward isn't there. And if you're very if you're good at Tarkov, you really kind of get the thrill of playing the game because you're risking something. And if you get really good at Tarkov, you're used to having your loadout, your, you know, chatted out gear or your ratted out gear, but your expensive stuff with your custom gun that has the firing pattern that you're used to, the scope you're used to, you don't want to hop on a scab that's got a piece of junk vest with no armor and, a, you know, an old whatever gun from the beginning of the game. I think that scabbing has not turned out the way that they initially wanted it to do. Because scaving doesn't have a huge part in the late mid to end game, at least that I can see. And it might be different once I get there. That's just kind of what I'm seeing. What do you think about that? See, I would look at it the opposite way. I think that scaving is a wonderful tool for beginners. It's a great tool for intermediates. And it's something that you tend to transition out of because there's a point where you start realizing all of the different areas that you want and need to progress in if you're going to go towards the end game. And it's things like, yeah, you can spend a lot of time running around on your scav, but you're missing out on strength, endurance, and vitality upgrades on your PMC if you would have just done the same thing on them. You know, so there's a point where that becomes important to you. You know, you go in on a scav, you kill a PMC, and let's say you're on interchange and you run into the mall and you kill Killa. You don't get credit for that. You know, you don't get credit towards the task if you have that task where Killa kills. Like, I actually think it's very well implemented because as you're discovering right now, 
you sort of transition out of it. And I think it's designed perfectly. It's no risk, potentially high reward, but no progression ever. And I think that's the piece that sort of kind of flares up within you yeah. <laughs> over time. At least it did for me. Let me say this and and kind of ask you this question. Do you think that a dependency or lack of dependency on scaving develops differently depending on what kind of gameplay style you favor? If you're a more conservative gamer, you could get more dependent or more comfortable with scaving because the risk is not as high, but there's some reward with not a lot of risk. And so what I'm thinking is like, if you are naturally able to get over that hump because of, you know, your gameplay style is more aggressive, let's just say there, there may be a difference there. See, and this is why I love that we talk about these, because I think I know what you're trying to draw the correlation to here. And what I would say is this, I actually got very dependent on scav runs. And the reason was, is that me being a FPS veteran or whatever you want to call me, Chad, whatever, I got addicted to scav runs because I could either do loot runs on them or I could do low or no risk PVP, you know? So I would, I would sprint around trying to kill PMCs. I got really addicted to that because I took that random element, like these PMCs don't know that I just spawned in here on the top of the mall with a Mosin. I'm going to charge you down and shoot you in the face. And that's really fun for a while. But the same progression that, yeah, like a conservative player may look at scaving and say, boy, I can avoid all players and loot all the time and just build currency. It's actually the same on the other side of the coin. I can just go PvP and seek out fights like crazy on scavs and do it with a no risk attitude. So I actually think it's the same regardless of play style. I think that's a good point. I will say this, based upon kind of how we have progressed in the game, kind of side by side. I do think it's easier for you, having your FPS background, to push past this particular phase. We may have gotten in the same spot in the beginning, but I think it's easier for someone who maybe has not played a lot of FPS to get stuck in this phase for longer. Yeah, that that's fair. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think it's fair to say that because there's a real, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm torn on it because I, I agree, maybe. Maybe somebody that doesn't have the FPS background relies on scabbing, but at the same time, that same individual may be more focused on currency or the flea market or building out really good guns with the money they've farmed up to put them in a better position. And there's a point where you start going with a scav to your point. Like, you don't want to go in with a scav vest. You don't want to know if you got a helmet, an armor, or a headset. Because all of those things matter in the game. So I think maybe, but I, I also, you know, I, I could see somebody who really likes PvP and getting stuck on scabs for a long time too. <laughs> Just go charging around maps with your W key stuck. So I, I think the conservative style could potentially, but I think any play style is at risk of overusing scabs at the, um, the detriment to their PMC progression. Maybe the scale's different, but. I, I don't know, maybe. I know, it's a good point. I, I think that there's definitely the gambit of people that are going to listen to this. So for the people who are feeling stuck scaving and not being able to push into PMC or you're feeling some kind of anxiety or, or progression there, the point of this conversation is to say that you can get out of that and maybe you can get out of that incrementally. So we can get you to the point where you start leveling and enjoying the game and enjoying what happens as the game progresses, right? Because there's a lot of things that happen as you undo more tasks and as you unlock more trader abilities and those kinds of things, there's lots of good things that happen. And we want everyone to get there. And so the whole point of this is for us to kind of explore this kind of area that people seem to kind of get stuck at and get frustrated. And I honestly think this is an initial point at which people quit Tarkov. I think that you can get so frustrated dying that you can quit at this point. And I kind of want to help people not quit at this point, if that kind of makes sense. Well, then let me ask you this question related specifically to that. When do you think new players should stop scabbing? Yep. So I've been thinking a lot about this this week. I don't think that new players should scav more than 25% of the time. So if you're going to do four raids, I think you should only scav if you completely run out of money. If I could do my entire Tarkov journey over again, knowing what I know now, like the next wipe, we're going to do our entire Tarkov journey over again. 
I am going to probably PMC 90% of the time. And I'm just going to go with it. Whatever happens, I'm going to take the good with the bad. And I'm going to more aggressively work on leveling my PMC, unlocking traders, leveling my hideout, and those kinds of things. Because it is good to have a lot of money, but the way that I started playing Tarkov didn't really help me. I mean, yes, I have a lot of rubles, but unless you have the traders unlocked, you can't really get the main benefits out of your hideout. You know, all those things are tied together. Task progression, all of that things. And having a lot of money from playing the flea market doesn't make you better at holding the alt key and sniping people. You just have to do that. (laughs) I honestly think that as hard as it and frustrating as it can be, you shouldn't scav more than one out of four times. I would say looking back, I think that's a good goal to move forward to. For me, I don't think players should ever stop scabbing. I think it's become a really cool after a challenging raid, whether a successful one that was tense or an unsuccessful one where I got killed. Um, I love scav runs to just go blow some steam off. I would say that for newer players, like brand new players, I, I would say that don't be afraid to scav on cooldown and then organize your loot and try to figure out what to do with it, even if you're not PMC running right away. But have an objective, meaning try to learn a map, try to learn an area of a map, try to get to a certain spot on the map and then get out. Try to give yourself little goals to learn. And I actually like the one out of, you know, do one and then do three. I think 25% is a really good number to move towards in the early game. You know, I don't know what level I would put that in at, but I think once you get to like level 10 and you start getting, you know, some of the traders and you, and you start getting a feel for the game, I would say moving towards that one scav raid to every three PMC raids is a really good idea. I think what we discussed that led us into this part of the conversation is don't be afraid to use your PMC as a scav. Go in with very little loot or a gun that you took off of somebody and nothing else and zero to hero it. It's really okay to do that. You will benefit greatly by getting that experience and the extra skill level ups on your PMC if you can get it into your mind to do that. So yeah, I think this whole game is about like, what would I do differently next time or on the next wipe? And I think for me, it's yeah, I'm not going to scav run nearly as often, but I love it as a tool. I think in the beginning, when you're playing, you need to find a way to build confidence in that you can live. And so even if you just get run through, so you're not in the raid long enough to get counted as being in there, it's more important to live, make it to the exfil and get out to kind of build up your confidence that you can do this and you can play the game, I think, than it is to follow someone's guide on YouTube that has you in the raid for a half hour trying to loot every little thing and telling you that you failed unless your bags aren't full. It's super important to build confidence by just living for a while. And there's nothing wrong with that because as you go, it's way, way better to get over that hump early in the game because the game gets a lot harder, the tasks get a lot harder, and in order to be successful, you got to get over some of these like fundamental concepts early on. And so that's the root of where my one in four kind of scav to PMC concept comes from, because it's really what helped me. Yeah. And I think that's really an awesome like breakdown that you gave, because I actually experienced a very similar thing. There was a point in the beginning of this game where I was literally just trying to get into interchange as a scav and avoid everything and just get out with loot. And it was figuring that route out and getting some confidence in doing that route on a scav that led me to start doing that same route on a PMC. And I died a lot on a PMC because people kept spawning near me and I was like, this is horrible. But I think that exact concept that you just walked us through is is amazing because I did the same thing. I wasn't actively really thinking about it. I was just doing the Chad thing and beating my head against the wall until I figured it out. But I love this concept. And and it sort of leads me into what I wanted to talk about next, which is sort of a, a continuation of our budget discussions that we've been having. But I wanted to go through this concept of how to use your currency efficiently. For somebody who's trying to transition out of scav runs into PMC runs, I think this could be a really good topic. I don't know, I didn't really plan it to kind of go on the heels of this, but 
I think this idea of where to spend your currency, especially when you're on a budget, is fascinating, right? And, and I think everybody leans towards guns, right? That's the first place everybody's like, man, what's the best budget gun to build? And we've had a lot of great conversations on this. We've posted a couple of them up in the Discord, and it's a really fun thing to do in this game is to modify guns and to find what works for you. But Interestingly, I actually don't think the gun should be the primary focus when we're thinking about currency efficiency. And I kind of want to give my order of importance on what I think you should be focusing your currency on when you're quote unquote on a budget. And then I kind of want to see what you think about this. So I'll put it out there and then let's talk about it. In my opinion, if you're looking to survive in a raid, this is the order of importance that I put on things that, are, that aren't a gun. So I think the most important thing is a headset. Next most important is ammo, then having a grenade or a flashbang or two, then having a scope that you're comfortable with, then armo, <laughs> armo, <laughs> then armor, then ergo rating, then gun modding, and then a helmet. I like that list. I would probably just say if your early game you're probably not going to know much about scopes and you're probably not going to understand gun modding or ergo and all that stuff. So it's a lot of things there that are all good. I would probably say headset is very, very valuable. I also would ignore helmet. I probably would say get an armored tack rig over trying to get a tack rig and a piece of body armor. So get a level four armor tack rig, like a Yuli or whatever. That's a pretty reasonably priced early game model. And try to get a gun. The gun is not as important as the ammo at this point. So if you can get whatever you get on a SCAV, an 8R, a Mosin, an AK-74M, any of those will work for a gun. And find the ammo spreadsheet that's in the Xfield Discord and try to find like the third most expensive ammo at this point. If you can do that, I think you have a very good chance of living. Yeah, and and that's kind of where I was going with this was, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, maybe you scabbed in and you saved a gun and you want to use the gun or you killed someone and took a gun off them and you want to build out your PMC to go have a successful raid. I was just kind of making this order of importance on what I think is really good for surviving. At the end of the day, if somebody sees you first and starts shooting at you, even if you have really good armor and a helmet, a lot of times it's the person who spots the other player first that will win the fight, unless you have really good armor and they don't necessarily have the best ammo. In general, that's how it goes. Spotting is really important. But my thought was, okay, if you have a headset, you put yourself in a better chance to hear somebody in close quarters combat. Having good ammo, if you spot them first, gives you a better chance of killing them before they ever get to shoot back at you. And that's why I put that above armor. The nade one is an interesting one for me because in the beginning of this game, I ignored grenades and flashbangs. Recently, I've started using them all the time. And I use them as utility like 90% of the time to like 10% using them to try to kill somebody. Using a grenade can allow you to move, it can force the enemy to move, and it changes the dynamics of a PvP battle dramatically. If you don't use grenades, start chucking grenades. They can help you survive, they can help you create a distraction that can get you out of there, can help you reset a fight, can help you completely disengage from a fight. Think about them as an escape mechanism or as a mechanism to get you out of a choked point where, say, you're stuck in a, you know, say you're in dorms and someone's got you pinned in a room. Well, if you can chuck a grenade out just to create enough distraction to let you run across the hallway, use the grenade for that. Again, I just believe all of those things are really, really important 
even more so than armor or what mods you have on your gun or the ergo rating on it. You bring up a great point about the armored armored rigs because they just they save a lot of hassle because it's the armor and the vest all in one. Now, <laughs> we, we're talking about all this and I just don't think that this blanket statement or me saying that this is the list that I think is right. Like, you, you're going to disagree with me. Other people may disagree with me. I just want everyone to think about it. Like, what's really important to survival? And if I'm trying to go in with a budget, what should I be focused on? Because if, you know, if you got a really good gun, really good ammo, a couple nades, you got a good scope on the gun, but you forgot a headset, you are at an extreme disadvantage in close quarters combat. Yeah, I kind of think of this in like two separate categories, right? You've got the person who's level one, and what do you do? You just got the game, you have your first set of however many rubles you get, how do you play? And then also you got the person who's like level 10 trying to push and is always broke because they're not good at making money, so then what do you do? And I think both of those people actually can play very similar ways. Uh, But this is where you gain some efficiency from doing tasks and leveling up your traders because you can buy these kind of common things that you need and they're cheaper. And so I think that that's, you know, the traders come into play for kind of funding this type of, you know, early game style and what to buy. But I I generally agree with you. I think that you definitely, if you're going to play interchange or if you're going to do dorms on customs or if you're going to try to do resort on shoreline and that's that's what you want to do, you got to have a headset. That's like, that's super important. Going in without a headset is is just going to be such a disadvantage. Even if you don't know what you're hearing, you're still going to hear something that's going to get your attention. And so I, I would agree with that. I think that's definitely and definitely the most number one thing to get used to. Now, as far as ammo goes, I, I also agree with that 100% because you can have a great gun with bad ammo and it just doesn't, it's not effective. So I think that's definitely something to work on, uh, understanding. And so that ammo spreadsheet is a big thing. And talk to someone in the Discord, because if you don't understand what that is, there's 400 plus people in Discord now. So someone there will, you know, say, hey, could you please DM me some info on what the ammo spreadsheet is? Someone will take, you know, five minutes and explain to you what the spreadsheet is. But that's a super useful tool to understand the effectiveness of your gun. So I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. And and the other thing that I wanted to bring up is if you're listening to this list and like, but wait, what about this specific map? And I think every map, because of how the maps play, also has a specific gear or equipment thing that's that's really important to that map. And, and the two that come to mind for me are like woods, right? I've played a lot of woods in the last week. My opinion on woods is don't go in there with class five or class six armor. The odds are is if you're going to die on woods, you're going to get shot in the head from long distance, right? Woods is a map where you can go in with an efficient class four armor or even class three to save you when scavs are shooting you. But if a player is shooting you on woods, they're probably using really good ammo and they're shooting you in the head. So just my opinion on woods. And the other one is factory. If you're going in on factory, if you can find a helmet with a face shield on it, that will help you survive over and over and over again. It is such a close quarters combat map that lots of stray bullets will travel near your head. I cannot tell you how many face shields I've had completely cracked by the end of a, of a factory raid. So if you can get a helmet, and again, if you can afford it or you find one or you kill a PMC with one and you get like a fast MT or an Xfil helmet, that you can wear a headset and have a face shield, that is like the absolute best thing you can have in factory because it will save you from getting one-tapped by scabs and you'd be surprised how many players will hit you in the face shield and you don't die from it. So those are the two that come to mind that there are maps that have specific gear or item things that are really important because of how the how the map plays. I think in general, you could probably categorize it as outdoor versus indoor maps because long range on woods plays very similar to long range on shoreline, which plays very similar to long range on customs. And in your right, most of the time on a long range map, you're going to get sniped and shot in the head. You know, for whatever reason, most of the helmets in this game just aren't effective. It's You can still one shot just about through any helmet. You can have a 80k helmet and it's really not going to help you unless you're, again, fighting against scavs. But a PMC is going to probably shoot you and one tap you. So I kind of agree with that. I think 
Close quarters combat is one that I'd like to kind of explore a little bit because I think that's overall the hardest thing to try to get used to because you could be hearing glass breaking on the floor or a thump of a wood floor or something like interchange comes to mind specifically. And when you're when you're making your way around an interchange, you hear so many different things that it may be beneficial for us to kind of explore a good interchange PMC as a, you know, scaving as a PMC loadout because the headsets come to mind and kind of the different sounds that you hear. So why don't you talk a little bit about the different sounds and the different headsets and like what's effective with that? Headsets are one of those things that there's what, five of them in the game? Maybe six? I can't remember. But they all boost frequency range of different things. And there's a number of videos out there on it. But the important factor is is that they generally boost footstep sounds or sounds on surfaces. And they, they increase your audio range. So that's why they're super important. Something like Interchange, right? And all the maps have this. The two that, for me, have really important sound cues are Interchange and Factory. Factory is a sound map. To get effective on factory, you have to learn the sounds, right? Take the office area, for example. When you hear glass, if you're up in the office, if you hear glass, you know they're under you in the locker room or they're on the landing of either of the staircases to the side. If you hear metal, they can either be off to the right of the office coming up on the level two or level three, or they could be running out in front of the uh, window on the other side on the rafters. So direction matters. But until you learn where those sounds can happen, you're at an extreme disadvantage on those maps. Interchange is another one. There are certain stores that have wood floors. There are certain stores that when you run through the entrance of them, they have a metal clang because of the entrance to that store. There are escalators that make a very distinct metal noise. There's glass in some places. There's wood planks in some places. Sound is critical for this. And that's why, again, headsets are super important. And it's like if you start playing PMC raids a lot and you have a headset on over and over and over and you go play a scab and you don't get one, you're going to feel really exposed because you're going to feel like you can't hear anything. So that's why I think it's so important. And sound cues, we've talked about it before. It's basically another weapon in this game that you can use to your advantage. When you're learning a map, pay attention to the surfaces and pay attention to how it sounds when people do certain things. You know, there's very common spots where people will jump on and oftentimes those surfaces will make a specific noise. So if someone's up on top of what's commonly referred to the octagon on Interchange, which is right above Adic and General and Rasmussen on the main floor of the mall, if you hear somebody jump and they hit metal, they're commonly on the shopping carts on the second level because that's where you would hear that noise. But again, you just have to explore those things and kind of mess around, which is what scabs are great for to learn those sounds and what's going on. Yeah, I completely agree. That is a good example of like using a scav to learn a map. But then when you're using a PMC, those sounds that you learn as a scav are just going to be easier if you're wearing a headset with your PMC. Going to increase your odds of survival with that. So getting back to this idea that, you know, using your currency kind of efficiently when you're kind of in the state where, okay, I need to make sure that what I'm buying doesn't, you know, make me go broke and kind of manage this whole like losing gear and still buying gear concept. I think in general, it's very hard to like point out, like give people like an exact list of what to buy. It's easier to go by categories, at least for me. So I think you made a great point, which I don't want to move past this category or this topic without touching on is that don't be afraid to use like a level three armor that you pick up off of a scab because there are some places where you're right you're going to get one-shotted and you really the armor's really only purpose is there to protect you against scabs firing at you and i think that's that's a great point which i don't want to make sure that we highlight that before we move on yeah i I think if you had to pick an armor to use all the time on a budget i would tell you to use the class three armors or class three tactical rig uh if you have a little bit more money i would tell you to use a class four armor and a class 4 tactical rig. Again, the scenarios that you're going to use class 5 and class 6 armor are very specific, you know? You're going to factory to stomp around Chad-like with a great helmet? Yeah, put on some great armor. But in general, class 4 armor is going to basically protect you from scavs, player scavs, and a lot of PMC fights come down to, you know, who sees the other one first. But if you're wearing good class 5 or class 6 armor, that can change the tide of that battle. So, 
It's not me saying that there's not an importance level on those other things, but we spend a lot of time talking about budget and currency efficiency. So, you know, you don't need to be investing in class 5 and class 6 armor to win fights. It's just not true. That's why I rank armor so low on my what's important scale. Because armor can be really important, but on a budget conscience, it's not the best thing to consider. Yep. And so one of the benefits of kind of getting good at this particular way of playing is that you complete tasks and you start to level your PMC, which allows you to take more advantage of the trader system that's in the game. And so one of the things we wanted to really talk about was or is the trader system and why it is important to try to work towards unlocking. I can only speak to a certain part of this because I haven't unlocked all the traders yet, and I know you have, but I can tell you that when I went from level one to level two, it was a huge change in my economy because the traders sell common things that I have to buy in the flea market for 20% less. And that's just a, that's a huge just efficiency gain in how I'm spending my money, but then also my ability to keep fueling my PMC and my gear donation on customs. The traders are sort of an incredible piece of this game. And coming from my MMO background of playing a lot of World of Warcraft and loving the auction house there and loving the flea market in Tarkov, I think a lot of people overlook how important the role of the traders is in Tarkov because they are dynamic and oftentimes their trades are what determines the price of certain items. And I think this is really important. Now, I say that as a level 45 PMC, and I can tell you that I made the biggest mistake while I was early in this game that I didn't even focus on what the traders could do for me until I was in the late 20s as far as level go. I had many of them at level 2 or 3 before I even started paying attention to what they were doing because I was so focused on getting cases and upgrading my stash situation and getting more cases and more cases and making that easier, that I ignored the trades they have, right? And and <laughs> I didn't know that you could sort the traders by trades, right? You can click on therapist, and there's a little icon on the right side of her menu that has like two arrows in a circle. And if you click that, it will show you just what she has to trade. You can also sort it by armors and meds and, and all those other things. But those trades are what dictate a lot of the flea market prices of items. I didn't really realize this. And there was often times where I was selling items on the flea market for less than if I would have just traded them to a trader for whatever the trade was and then sold that item. So from a currency standpoint, it's really important. But also to Ronald's point, like, Every time you level up a trader, go check what you just unlocked. They even have the loyalty level tabs on the top. So you can see what just unlocked for level two, level three, level four. And oftentimes, you know, like Ragman's a great example. You know, you hit level two Ragman and boom, you can buy a Burkett. You know, and that, we talked about that last week, but that's a big change. So yeah, I'm sure that you've had a bunch of realizations about the traders, but for me, like I ignored them for way too long and I wasted a lot of currency by doing it. I mean, me too. So I think that that's just something if, if we can pass on a piece of advice to, you know, just starting off with Tarkov, pay attention to those tasks, push through that initial frustration stage with PMC and level up those traders because it's just going to help you in the end. And that's just, uh, it's an important thing to do that, hey, we didn't know. We bought the game seven weeks ago, so right here we go. Well, and, and like ammo from the traders can be way cheaper than it is on the flea market. And, and it, the traders come up on the flea market, right? So they're selling something you're looking for. You'll see it listed under the trader on the flea market. The thing that I really wanted to touch on, and I almost forgot about it, was related to how the prices are set and maintained in this game. One of the things that I would highly encourage you to do, look at the trades that the traders have. You know, right-click what they are giving you for certain items, see what it sells for on the flea market. Then go see how many items and what they're looking for for that item, and go check what they're going for on the flea market. Oftentimes, there's a limited number of trades available within the reset window on a trader. So if you ever wonder what the timer is on each trader, that's how long till they restock their trades or the amount of stuff you can buy if there's a limit on it. Like the best ammos, oftentimes per reset, you can only buy like 120 or 200 rounds of the best ammo from the traders until their next reset. Or 
Prapper, you can only buy 10 F1 grenades and 10 flash grenades per reset. But if you go look at the trades where they can say your quantity limitation is one, meaning you can only trade for that item once every window, oftentimes you can make money by simply buying the items required for that trade, trading for that item, and then selling the item. So I would encourage you to look into those because they're not always profitable because the market fluctuates. But there's times where you can turn a lot of profit just by simply buying stuff off the flea market for cheap, turning it into something else, and then going and selling that item. Absolutely. That is an easy way to make money because all you have to do is buy the items on the flea market and then turn and sell whatever you're trading for. And you can do that all day long. You don't even have to scavenge for that. And the benefit of that is you get the increased reputation in the flea market, which lets you list more items. Really good thing to do. Yep, absolutely. Well, awesome, man. I uh, I, I was actually really thrilled to talk about all the efficiency stuff, and I didn't think we were going to go this long, but we did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely starting to see that uh, green timer. Now, our exfil timer here is like, I don't know, 20 minutes long, <laughs> but we... we Definitely are starting to see the exfil timer at this point. I think we're there, man. So, folks, thank you. We made it. We're at the exfil site, which means we're just seconds away from getting out of here. I just wanted to thank everybody for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much to our new patrons. Thanks to everybody who participates in the Discord. This community is incredible. This is a hardcore game that requires a certain level of maturity to really hammer into it. And uh, it's really impressive to see just the caliber of gamers that are in the Xfield Discord community and that we hear from in email and the comments on YouTube videos all the time. So really cool. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Remember, you can always find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and basically any podcast app and YouTube under the Xfil podcast. That's E-X-F-I-L. And the YouTube page is youtube.com forward slash XP Media Now, where you can also find all of our guides and Xfil bootcamp content that's coming out. And that's all we got for you guys. Have a great one. Good luck and scav often. See you later, everybody.